Uh, Psalm 10, and then we'll go to prayer after this, is a song of confidence in God's triumph over evil. Um, Because this psalm doesn't have like a subtitle to it, kind of an explanation of the psalm, uh, and it's kind of sandwiched in between others that do, uh, it shares some of the similar themes of Psalm 9. Some people thought that it was originally part of Psalm 9, like the second half of Psalm 9. Uh, but uh, there's also reasons to doubt that uh, as it kind of stands out on its own as like a, a grieving psalm of what seems to be the, the prosperity of the wicked. Um, and then it kind of ends with ultimately trusting the Lord and that he will judge the wicked. Uh, Spurgeon writes, um, actually Spurgeon quotes Martin Luther There is not, in my judgment, a psalm which describes the mind, the manners, the works, the words, the feelings, and the fate of the ungodly with so much propriety, fullness, and light as this psalm. And it really does. It really just brings out what's going on in the heart, minds, and mouths of the wicked man. Um, We'll reference James 3, what we studied this Sunday regarding, you know, the tongue and how the tongue is a fire that is set on fire by hell. Uh, and just in the wickedness of man, their tongue is just, it's hell. It's darkness. It's wickedness. Um, and we're going to see a lot of that theme carried on uh, here in um, the wicked man described in Psalm 10. Uh, verses 1 through 4 uh, kind of come off of this questioning the success of the wicked. Um, seems that God is, it seems that the wicked are prospering and it seems that God is inactive uh, against the wicked. What's up with that, God? What's up with that? Uh, verse one says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Anybody ever said that? <laughs> like, where are you, Lord? Like, do you know what's going on? Are you really omnipresent, omniscient, all those omnis? Because it kind of seems like I'm hanging here. Kind of seems like I'm the only one that even knows this is going on. Like, show me your attributes in action, Lord. Where are you? Don't you see? And don't you care? Do you, why do you stand afar off, Lord? The wicked, verse 2, in his pride persecutes. and hot, It means hotly pursues the poor. Think about that. This is a description, just as Spurgeon said, like no other psalm describes what the wicked are about as much as this psalm. The wicked is pridefully arrogant. We're going to see boastful in a little bit. And in that pride, he goes after the poor, hotly pursuing them. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. You know, kind of reading the Psalms and in this Psalm today, I think about a lot of the different movies that we have out there and it doesn't matter which one, they all kind of have this basic, you know, I don't remember my, my story class in English, you know, where it's got like your themes and all that and it's got like your plot and then the plot thickens and then there's like this climax where it all goes down, you know, and then the hero and the heroine or whatever, not actual heroine, I don't. Am I saying that right? (laughs) And the heroine come in to play. (laughs) Write that down. It's a Roryism, Jeremy. (laughs) He's always looking for him. You know, that's at the climate. You know, that's, we have this, this wicked, 
the enemy in these stories always always happens, whether it's a Disney movie or whatever. And you see these wicked people going after poor people, going after those that, and we're going to see other um, words to describe them, poor, helpless, oppressed people. And you'd think that those are the people that you'd leave alone, right? Okay, like you're the wicked guy, leave them alone, pick on the, you know, the guys that can somewhat give, put up, no, not the wicked man. The wicked man kicks the dog while he's down. Uh, he goes after hotly pursuing people who are poor. And I know many of you here have felt that. But we have that <clears throat> cry out to the Lord. Let them be caught in the plots that they've devised. This is a concept we've seen two or three times now in the Psalms, have we not? That the wicked are enemies as they're digging pits for us and setting traps for us to catch us in. What happens? They fall into the ditch they've been digging. They fall into the trap that they've been setting, the pit that they've been digging. Um, and that's a, that's a prayer that regularly David prays. And perhaps he's seen it come true. He's seen that prayer answered. And so maybe that's a prayer that it's, it's okay to pray. <laughs> it seems to be a reoccurring cry of David's heart. Chapter seven sixteen said, His trouble shall return upon his own head. And his violent dealing shall come down upon his own crown or his own head. All these schemes, all these plottings, all these plannings. Lord, let the wicked man have those just come right down upon himself. Psalm 9.16, this was last week. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Have you ever seen this happen? I don't want to get specific just in case it's communal in this community. You're like, oh, I remember when all, you know, but just re- has anyone ever seen that happen where like someone is like, oh, just really hotly pursuing and, and, and trying to set up some kind of scheme and it just falls, they fall into their own scheme. Has that ever actually happened? Have you guys seen that happen? Probably hard to think of. I bet if we thought about it, we could think of some good ones. Take a census, write it down. <laughs> Well, we can think in the scripture, though, can't we? Daniel and the governors and satraps that were against Daniel and how they had this plot and this plan to kill Daniel and get him out because there was such favor over his life. And so he ended up being spared in the lion's den. And King Darius, who had such a heart for Daniel, was there first thing in the morning. Are you still alive? Are you still alive? Yes, the Lord sent his angel and he closed the lion's mouths, shut the lion's mouths. Uh, And so he got Daniel out of that pit, and then he threw in the wicked plotters and, it, you know, and even their families. And if you know the story, that before their bodies even hit the ground, the lions had devoured them. I mean, that is just intense. Who was the other one that just can come to our mind so quickly? Haman, right? Guy who planned to exterminate the Jews, had this whole plan in place, just demonic. In fact, when the Jews read the story of Esther, do you know what they do? Every time they come across the name Haman, what do they do? They hiss and stomp their feet. And so we did that once at Calvary Corvallis. You know, it made for a really long reading time. But, <laughs> but that's what happened to Haman. The very gallows that he was going to hang Mordecai and all the rest of the Jews, him and his little planner, planning committee were the ones that uh, ended up hanging on that. And so um, we just see God's faithfulness in that as we would cry out, for our enemies and the wicked ones who are plotting and planning against us to be caught 
in their own trap. Uh, verse three, and just thinking about that, you know, when we were going to Nepal, uh, you know, we had all these <clears throat> different things come across, you know, the plane delayed and the gas tank of the Jeep being punctured and, and those things. And Luke Euler, who's a uh, mountain child guide, he was our guide. He uh, said, man, I've just never seen anything like this. And it's like we're playing chess with the devil right now, you know. And, and we just kept being like, check, you know, kind of joking every time <laughs> we would counter that. And um, it was just really amazing to see how that very Jeep that had the punctured fuel tank where the enemy didn't want us to get up into those points was the very Jeep that this uh, Buddhist Lama rode in for four hours and we were able to preach the gospel on the way back, you know. And uh, checkmate, you know. <laughs> and so he fell in his own trap. Uh, he wasn't able to stop us. But uh, verse 3, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. Uh, this wicked guy boasting. Uh, you remember uh, the tongue that James speaks of. And how he says in James chapter 3, and we're going to turn there a little bit because the psalmist says more about the tongue of the wicked. But you remember in 3 it says, James 3, that the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. Things that bubble up from the spring of a wicked heart. This is the, the bubbling wicked heart boasting. And he boasts about what his intentions are. What his plans are. The wicked blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. Or the literal translation, the greedy man spurns and curses the Lord. Proverbs 28, 4. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. So the wicked person blesses the greedy, but renounces the Lord. Or as the proverb says, he praises the wicked. Verse 4 of our psalm, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. So in verses 3 and 4, here's some descriptions of the wicked. The wicked renounces the Lord, does not seek God, and God is in none of his thoughts. Those are three different clear degoddings of God, eliminations of God, trying to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, suppressing and exchanging the truth for a lie. Literal translation of this is all of his thoughts are there is no God. And just think about the wicked that we know. There is no God. There, you know, just that's just constant. There is no God. There is no God. There is no God. My neighbor, who, hard to call him wicked. I mean, I love the guy, and he's been very kind to us. New neighbor, just moved in. Uh, love the guy. Taken on us like four tours of his house. Uh, but he's an agnostic, and he's a sinner who's on the path to hell. And, um, you know, he's, he said to me, and, and he just keeps bringing up the Lord, and, and I'm just waiting for the time that, you know, he more asks me. But as he's talking, uh, you know, he shares his testimony of the reason he's an agnostic is because his parents were Christians who were hypocrites and abused him and didn't love him at all. And he just kind of has that. How could there be a God? How could there be that God if that was my parents and they were Christians? And so, you know, that's who we've got next door. And, uh, 
But the amazing thing is, is here's this guy who just keeps coming back to there, there, you know, just he's, it's on his mind. It's on his mind, even though he, he just keeps verbalizing it. I don't know. I don't know. It just can't be that. It can't be that. It can't be that. All right. So uh, all of his thoughts are, you can think of in your circles, just there's no God. There's no God. That's just constantly, they renounce God. They don't seek God. They want to make it clear that they don't seek God. God is in none of my thoughts, except that in that God's continually in his thoughts, isn't he? And there's this continual prodding of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. The face expression of the self-conceit of this wicked man, their face expresses the self-conceit whose fruit is practical atheism. The wicked is proud in countenance and does not seek God. Their facial expression is self-conceit. The fruit is practical atheism. David Guzik been really enjoying his commentary through Psalms. Man has obligations to God as his creator and sovereign, and it is at, it, it is a sin to neglect them. Man commits these sins because of his proud countenance. Ignoring God is an expression of our independence and perceived equality or superiority to him. The more we try to ignore him and the more we try to suppress him, what we're doing is we're de-godding him. We're doing exactly what Romans 1 says that we will do in that rebellion. And it will lead to all sorts of other horrible sins. But it's all part of our, I'm God. I'm setting myself or somebody else up as God. I'm either equal or better than him. And so I'm rebelling. That's the, that's the heart of every rebellion in the entire world has been a worship disorder. It's been saying, God, I know better than you, so I'm going to do it my way. And that's uh, what we see happening here with this wicked man. Psalm 14, 1. Uh, you guys probably have this memorized. Kenny, can you read this one? So the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Or the literal translation is, the fool has said in his heart, no God. No God. Romans three ten through 11 so we've been going to Romans 3 a whole lot in these Psalms because David's constantly talking about the wicked and where the wicked man is at. Apart from Christ, we see in our verse right now, verse 4, it says the wicked is in his proud countenance, does not seek God. He's too proud to seek after God. As it's written there in at Romans 3, Paul's quoting Psalm 14, 1, uh, and uh it can be said of the proud, the wicked man in this psalm, God is in none of his thoughts. At the same time, he cannot not think of God. Try as he may, he can't stop thinking about God. In our next little subsection here, verses 5 through 7, we have the pride of the wicked. Verse 5, his ways are always prospering, or his ways are always strong. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. And so this wicked man seems to be living the good life with no thoughts of ever standing before the Lord in judgment. He's accountable to nobody. He laughs at anyone who would be used to chastise him. This, of course, is false security. Such is his confidence, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown write, such in his, is his confidence in the permanence of his way or course of life 
that he disregards God's providential government out of sight because he will not look. He sneers at his enemies and boasts perpetual freedom from evil. This is the condition of this man, his heart, his life. Uh, It's interesting because Psalm 73, if you want to actually flip there in your Bible, we do have it on the screen, but uh, if you have a Bible, it'll probably be easier to read along. I want to read about 28 verses here. Psalm 73 kind of as a chapter encapsulates this verse. Now let's, let's, uh, can we go back, Jason, just to verse five again? His ways are always prospering. This is the wicked man. It seems this way. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. Psalm 73, verses 1 through 28. This is the psalm that uh, when Calvary Corvallis built their new building and uh, Chuck Smith came up and dedicated it, uh, that was when I met Chuck Smith and he said to me, someday maybe I'll come and dedicate your church. (laughs) And uh, sadly, he didn't quite make it and... The church was already existent. So, <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, he taught this psalm, and it has always stuck with my heart. Um, psalm seventy-three, one: Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled; my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could ever wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I'd said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Have you guys ever been there? You look at the wicked and you're like, they are like prospering. They've got everything. You know, of course, that's certain wicked that we tend to like (laughs) be focusing on. They've got everything, man. They've got power. It seems like, you know, oh, they've just got, they're living in the lap of luxury. It's like they don't even know that judgment's coming. Maybe judgment's not even coming. And you just get into a funk like that. And the psalmist just says, man, if I would have really just given myself over to thinking like that, it would have been too painful for me. That might have been like my demise. But then we have this golden verse in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Man, this could be applicable to any situation in life that our eyes have just gotten off of the Lord and his truth and his promises. We just aren't trusting him. Things don't seem to be working out the way that God says that they work out. I'm going to focus on how it, how it seems to be working for me and my understanding. It will be too painful. It'll be our end. 
Joey, I know that you're there. Josh, you're there tonight. Nate, you've been there. Have we not been there? It's been I've been there. Jeremy and Delina, you guys have been there. I mean, this is it. This is the end. Like, it's like the apocalypse of my heart right now. It's over. Until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then I understood. Then I got perspective. And man, you just see the benefit of just coming to the house of the Lord where there's just a focus on Jesus. There's, there's exalting Christ in worship, singing songs of his past faithfulness, singing songs of his glory, just getting our eyes on him, getting into the word, the Christ-centered word, and coming back and looking at Jesus and focusing on the cross and focusing on the meta-narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and the grand plan of God to glorify himself through the death of his son in redeeming sinful man through the death of his son as we do that it all seems like none of it would make sense and yet the economy of the lord is way different than anything we would ever set up when we come into the house of the lord in prayer and in worship and in the word and in fellowship and considering one another and going over and praying for one another and and asking how each other are doing and speaking words of exhortation and encouragement and comfort to men, which is prophecy, by the way, speaking into each other's lives. Is there not encouragement in that? Is there not hope in that? Has anyone ever felt revived after coming into the sanctuary of the Lord? Then I understood their end. Then I remembered what the Lord had said would happen. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. And here we just have just this like sweet drink of of water refreshment to this psalmist's soul. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. What's the wicked's end? Man, they're in a slippery place. Their end is destruction. You're holding my hand. I'm in your presence. You receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I've put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. And I would just encourage you here tonight, if you come to this place with a bit of the Psalm 73, you know, where the wicked seem to be prospering, or where are you, Lord? Do you even know what's going on around here? Do you even know the, the text that I've gotten, the, the, the emails, the phone calls, the, you know, the fight that I was just in, the, the condemnation that I'm under? Man, let this be a good word for you. I have put my trust in the Lord God. Put your trust in the Lord tonight afresh for that chief end of declaring all his works. For that chief end of his glory. What a great psalm. Someday we'll be there, maybe. (laughs) Verse 6 of our psalm tonight. The wicked man has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. 
Is it really 7.30? No. Okay, time to really speed up. He said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. This is the wicked man. We, we see that in the lukewarm church in Revelation chapter 3. I'm in rich. I have need of, I'm rich. I'm, I'm clothed. I have need of nothing. We see it in Revelation chapter 8 when we see um, Babylon, this end times city, this end times uh, government, that's government um, slash religious system set up that is demonic. It's a system of the Antichrist and the false prophet. Uh, and it says there that this city, this religious and economic system, verse 7 of Revelation 18, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day. We're going to read more about that fall of Babylon at the end of the chapter tonight. But this is a, just a religious economic system that, that had that same wicked heart. I shall not be moved. I shall never see adversity. Verse 7. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. Does that sound familiar at all? Recently going through James. I thought about kind of skipping some chapters and maybe just, just Lord, what chapter? Maybe, maybe we don't need to go through every psalm. What? And uh, just read. I'll just read chapter 10, see? And I was just like, man, that's just, we need to hear it again after James chapter 3 of our tongue, an unruly evil, James says. Clark, uh, Trap rather, Trap writes, such cursing men are cursed men. And Clark uh, writes, he's a 1790 Irish preacher, what a finished character, a blasphemer, a deceitful man, and a knave or knave. Not really sure what that is. <laughs> I mean, I do, but anyways, the mouth that's cursing and deceit has oppression under the tongue is trouble and iniquity. This is exactly what James was speaking about. This is exactly what the Romans 314 passage, passage speaks about poison under their tongue. Verse eight, he sits in the lurking places of the villages. This is in a place of ambush in the secret places. He murders the innocent his eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. So he crouches. He lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. Oh my goodness, you guys. Reading these three verses today just had me at a place where I was sobbing. Sobbing. With the closing song we're going to do tonight, sobbing for the people who are helpless, as verse 8 says. For the people who are poor, for the people that are, and how the wicked man is sitting, lurking, and man, thinking of Nepal, lurking places of the villages. And this is just Nepal, as I just couldn't get it out of my mind. They're in the villages, sitting there, waiting to see waiting to ambush, looking for innocent who he can just murder. His eyes were secretly fixed on the helpless. When you hear about how these uh, sex trafficking pimps get their victims, they go and they wait for them, these little girls, to get off the buses, and, and then they'll just go pounce on them like a lion. This is their tactic. 
This is exactly their tactic here. Lurking places of the villages. Secretly fixed on the helpless people. Lying like a lion waiting to pounce. As verse 9 says, to catch the poor. He wants, he's got a net. He's just going to catch these little girls and these little boys. So he crouches and lies low. The trafficking, the slavery. You guys, please pray to get behind the vision of what the church is doing right now in awareness for trafficking victims. Like God is just moving in our midst so that the world can know. I, only within the last couple of years did I even know like trafficking was a thing. And then only in the last year have I realized how bad. And, and we're going to have some nights and, and times where we get together at the church and show videos and adults only to be able to watch this stuff so that we can just sympathize with what's going on out there so that we can bring the remedy of the gospel. You guys, Kenny knows it more than I do. You know, the people that were on Aaron more than I do. I just saw a few videos and, and heard some stories, but... Um, the trafficking, the slavery, the wicked and their plans to trap and ensnare the young for their prosperity. These wicked, they are bullies. Focusing violence against the weak, the innocent, the innocent, the helpless, the poor. We're gonna pray for we're gonna pray for them. They're the souls of Tarsuses. We're gonna pray for the sex trafficking brokers tonight, as well as the victims. Verse eleven, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten, he hides his face. He will never see. People that know about this stuff, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, oh, well, what can you do? So these are the people that, you know, they're not the ones that are, that are trafficking, but they're just kind of like, whatever, it's just the way it is. I mean, what can you do? But the wicked people and even the Buddhists and the Hindus, they basically say, you know what? This is just, this is just my bent. This is my bent and I'll just do karma. I'll just do good works and, and try to outweigh the, the bad with the good. Um, just kind of the shrugging of the shoulders. God's forgotten. He hides his face. Uh, a lot of times we think that the Lord has forgotten our sin because a lot of time has gone by. And as Charles Spurgeon says, is it not a senseless thing to be careless of sins committed long ago? The old sins forgotten by men stick fast in an infinite understanding. Time cannot raise out that which hath been known from eternity. Alistair Begg always said, and I remember it, there is no statute of limitation with our sin. We need to acknowledge our sin before the Lord, confess and repent. Uh, verses 12 through 13, there's a prayer to God for protection and vindication. Prayer for God to take action. Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. All the time in Psalm, we'll have the Lord lifting up his strong arm. It speaks of his power. Lift up your hand, God. Stir in the hearts of the humble that you have not forgotten them. This was my prayers. I wrote that out today. Lord, stir in the hearts of the, the humble. It can mean poor, the, the broken, the helpless, the fatherless, the sex trafficking victim, the slave in Thailand on the fishing boats. Lord, we just pray that tonight. Lord, stir in their hearts, the hearts of the humble that you haven't forgotten them. Psalm 40, 94, 2. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Bring your strong arm out, Lord. What's the commercial right now? There's a commercial uh, where in order to get uh, the Skittles, this whole village has to do an arm wrestling competition. So the Skittles come and then they arm wrestle. And so everybody in the village has like really buff right arms. 
like the dogs walk around and they've got really buff right arms and the little babies have really, really buff right arms and they're all arm wrestling. And it's just like, Lord, raise up your strong arm. I'm sorry, I don't know. It's all toned. Okay, Lord, go for it. Verse 13, why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. This goes right with the, oh, the time has gone by. I don't have to answer for those sins. Man, if you have not dealt with those sins at the cross and brought them before the Lord in humility and brokenness and repentance, there will be an account. Verses 14 and 15, asking for God's help in view of his kindness to the helpless. In verse 14, it says, but you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. And so we see just God's redemption, God coming in his justice and his mercy. He sees it. He observes it. He repays by that strong power. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find, uh, until you find none. And so there's, there's that breaking of the wicked arm, all of his power, that it would be broken. And I just had to write out a prayer in my notes. Break the arm of the traffickers tonight. Impair them. Break their arm that they would lose their power. And I like the end of that verse. You are the, or excuse me, it says, uh, seek out his wickedness until you find none. So Lord, just go to the core of the root of the wickedness of this problem and just purge it out. Just refine it out. Purge it, go to the end of it and bring it and, and get rid of it until there's none left. Expose the operations. Find all the dark places of the operations and expose them. Verses 16 through 18, David writes in his confidence in God's judgment. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. The psalmist began with almost despair in his time of trouble, but ends it with calm confidence in the reign of the Lord as eternal king. The nations have perished out of the land. All of those who were wicked and, and, and raised up against the Lord, they perish out of the land. Adam Clark was that 1790s preacher in Ireland, and he wrote of, uh, of England, I'm sorry, where he was actually, he ended up, I think he was from England, but preached in Ireland, kind of like St. Patty, if I may say. Okay, uh, <clears throat> he writes, they are all either cut off or converted. This may refer to the Canaanites. What a mercy that we can say this of our own country. Once it was an entirely heathen land, now not one heathen family in the whole land, writing of England in the 1790s. And uh, what an amazing thing to be praying over uh, our land and other lands that we pray for. Verse 17, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. What a wonderful phrase. You will prepare the heart. This is preparing hearts for prayer, uh, for for him to hear, for us to hear from him, and for him to hear from us. Spurgeon writes, surely none but the Lord can prepare a heart for prayer. One old writer says it is far harder work to raise the big bell into the steeple than to ring it afterwards. This witness is true. When the bell is well hanged, you can ring it readily enough. But in that uplifting of the heart lies the work and the labor. Lord, bring our hearts to be a place that desire prayer. Spurgeon also said that if your heart is cold in prayer, hammer it on the anvil of prayer until it gets hot. 
Just keep asking the Lord, Lord, help me to pray right now. I'm just really struggling in prayer. Lord, lift my heart up uh, for prayer. Prayer. Trap writes, where God gives a praying heart, it is sure that he will show a pitying heart. If he prepare the heart, he will also bend his ear. We see the economy of grace here. God prepares the hearts, suggests the prayer, hears what is prayed, and answers the petition. Verse 18, to do justice or vindicate to the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may oppress and terrify no more. Under the rule of God, the day must come when the one who is a terror on the earth will terrify no more. These are the conclusions of the psalm, and it ends a lot more sweetly than it began. Where are you, God? The Lord will come, and he will stand, and he will deal with these wicked, wicked men. And so uh, I want to close by looking at Revelation 18 and kind of looking at that final end of this type of oppression. In Revelation chapter 18, we have the, uh, the destruction of Babylon, referred to as a harlot. It's this city, this one world economic and religious system. Um, and it's been destroyed by the Lord. And it says here in verse uh, 9, and we're going to read um, 9 through 15 and then 23 through 19, 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. Have you ever noticed that before? Bodies of men. Souls of men lumped into the same category as merchandise. Lumped in the same category of ivory and wood and bronze and iron and cattle and horses. Bodies and souls of men. So what we see is that, you know, this is going to be a problem until the end of days. Yes, we can pray for it now and, and we can see incredible wondrous victory now but we see in the tribulation period it will come back again in full force this slavery until the king is here and we will sing it before him in the new jerusalem or excuse me not the new jerusalem but in the in the jerusalem where he is sitting on his throne in glory we will stand there singing the king is here hallelujah he is here and no longer are the bodies and souls of men being traded the fruit that your soul longed for is gone from you, and all the things that are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at the distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Revelation eighteen twenty three says, The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, 
For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on the earth. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he's avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. An incredible to read of kind of this final victory that David, what was it we learned last week? David's writing it like it was prophetic perfect in the prophetic perfect tense. He writes as if it had happened. And here we'll see one day. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the leading into him coming in the second coming and setting up his throne and his kingdom on earth. An exciting time where we'll see the, the fatherless and the widow and the, the helpless and the poor and the oppressed being vindicated, being stood up for like in that final awesome way. I can't wait. Guys, the more we study it, the more we study how bad it is here, it's so bad. It's so bad. Some of you know how bad it is. It is so bad. It causes us to cry out in prayer more and more. And so we're going to tonight. 